Welcome to the North Shore Vineyard Church Audio Podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. Today on the podcast, we're going to feature audio from our Saturday night service. This was recorded December 5th, and this is part three of a series we're doing called Living in a Larger Story. Now, in the last message, we talked about how the call of Christ breaks us out of living in a small story, brings us into an epic narrative. And today we're going to talk about how, though the call comes to us as individuals, it's expressed in community, in in a fellowship of people following after Christ together. So the title of this message, part three, living in a larger story, is Ensemble. Thanks for listening. Tonight, we're, we're, this is part three of a, of a series we started. If we were meeting every week, I could say we started, you know, two weeks ago, but we've been stringing this. Ser- it's, it's taken us uh, six weeks to get to, to, the, to week three of this series. But this is called uh, Living in a Larger Story. And, and if you want to get caught up on it, we do have the messages online, so you can listen to part one and part two. But tonight, I'm entitling this message Ensemble. And I just wanted to start the message with... Oh, and I was just reminded why else we use a microphone, because right now we have a lot of kids <laughs> on the other side of that uninsulated wall. We will be moving these kids to another room. We just haven't got that other room quite set up, and we, we found out that the door kind of shuts and doesn't open sometimes, which is not, not good when you get kids in there. So <laughs> we're going to put the infants in that room so, you know. They're not quite as bad as four-year-old boys. Four- and five-year-old boys, they can just, they start climbing walls. And Anyway, but tonight, um... <laughs> she's louder than me with a microphone. Uh... <laughs> tonight, I wanted to start off by reading some poetry. Poetry reading in downtown Covington on a Saturday night. It just feels right, doesn't it? Um, these are actually the, the lyrics to a song, and uh, you, you'll probably recognize the song. Uh, it's a song that truly captures the spirit of America. It's, it's an America. It, it could be like the national anthem of America because it certainly gets at one of the, the defining values of America. So here we go. Y'all can snap and stuff. Uh, and now the end is near, and so I face the final curtain. My friends, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full, I've traveled each and every highway, and more, much more than this, I did it my way. Regrets? I've had a few, but then again, too few to mention. I did what I had to do and saw it through without exemption. I planned each charted course, each careful step along the byway, and much, much more than this, I did it my way. Yes, there were times, I'm sure you knew, when I bit off more than I could chew, but through it all, when there was a doubt, I ate it up and spit it out. I faced it all, and I stood tall and did it my way. I've loved, I've laughed and cried. I've had my fill, my share of losing. But now as tears subside, I find it all so amusing. And to think, I did all that. And may I say, not in a shy way, oh no, oh no, not me. I did it my way. For what is a man? What has he got? If not himself, then he has not. 
to say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows and did it my way. Yes, it was my way. That could be the American National Anthem, huh? You know some people who subscribe to that? Maybe that's been your national anthem, part of your life. Um, you know, I'm not a big Sinatra fan. You, you probably find that hard to believe. Uh, but, you know, I mean, a certain, certain Italian restaurant with a certain, you know, setting, it, it works good. But as unfamiliar as I am and, and, and not a fan of Sinatra, I, I got to say that I'm familiar with this song. I've heard the, the brash de- declaration of, of self-sufficiency. I've heard it in the background, you know, throughout my life at different times. And it's almost strange when you hear this song. I was going to, they don't have it on iTunes. I was going to play it for you tonight. And I was going to get Faith to sing it, but she, she didn't want to. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's almost weird when you hear this song, the way it stirs your emotions. Because it's a, it's a powerful song. It's, it's a very well-written song. I mean, the lyrics, those are, you can read it like poetry because it's, it's like poetry. But it stirs some emotions in you towards something of independence, to self-sufficiency, to rugged individualism. See, it calls forth the things that we idolize in our culture. Cowboys, self-made men, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, millionaires. See, it's the mythology in our culture that if you just, if you just try hard enough, you can do anything the door is open. The, the future is wide open if you just try. There we go. Um, a little too high. See, this is the dream of autonomy, the fruit of our forefathers from America, the, the pioneers, the ones who settled this country. It's kind of in, in our, our gene pool. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with taking risk. Dude, I, I like to hang around people who take risk. I like people who take risk. I like people who are entrepreneurs and, and who get out there and get stuff done. And, and that's honestly the kind of people we need in a church plant <laughs> because there's not a whole lot of spectating involved. If you, if you hang around more than one service, we're, we're going to you know, give you a, a broom or, or, or teach you how to make coffee or, or have you working back with the kids. I, I'm all for people who are willing to step out there and take risk. But my way alone, doing things my way, is not enough for me or for the world around me. Some, some of you may have noticed this before. Doing things my way, it, it may bring success in a worldly sense, but it's not enough to really satisfy my soul. It's not enough to really make an impact in the lives of the people I love. How many people do we see that after years of making millions and stuff, they finally get to the, to the closing chapters of their life, and they're not singing Frank Sinatra. <laughs> I don't even know if Frank Sinatra was singing Frank Sinatra when he got to the closing years of his life. What are they usually saying? Man, if I just would have spent more time with my kids, if I would have just spent my life on things that mattered a little bit more, I have everything, but I feel like I'm, I'm really poor. You know, I was... Uh, I was driving across, across the causeway doing my reverse commute from Kenner to the North Shore. <laughs> it's not, not a lot of traffic. <laughs> uh, Tuesday morning, 
and I was listening to 870 AM. Anybody ever listen to Garland Robinette? Yeah, I became familiar with Garland after Katrina because he was on a whole lot. And, and honestly, I got to say, Garland's such a downer most of the times that I can't listen to more than, you know, 10 minutes or so at a time because he's just, he's always talking about how horrible everything is. And I agree with him a lot of stuff. I just, you know, it's going to make me depressed if, if I listen to much. But Tuesday morning, I'm coming across the causeway to Covington, and I hear him talk, and he said, you know, I'm going to take a break from the doom and gloom today. And he decided to, to talk about the only thing that anybody in New Orleans cared about on Tuesday morning. Anybody? <laughs> the Saints. Beaten, not just beaten, just like whooping up on the Patriots. It, it was a, a phenomenal game. And that's all anybody wanted to hear about. But I got to tell you, as I'm driving over, I was stunned by what this normal doom and gloom kind of person. I mean, normally when you listen to his program, he's talking about how bad the crime, the education, the eroding of the, the wetlands, and, and, and how everything is just going to hell in a handbasket, and why doesn't anybody do something? But this day, on Tuesday, Garland talked about his experience going to the Saints game the night before, and I thought this was, this was pretty interesting. He shared how when he walked into the Superdome, he said, you know, here were tens of thousands of people in a city that's known for its crime rate and its murder rate and its corruption. But yet he said there was tens of thousands of people and there was no crime going on. He said, I saw black, white, brown, yellow, everybody getting along. He said the atmosphere was so hopeful. It was like a different place. And he said, then you look at the field. You look at these guys playing on the field. He said, there was no sense of anybody with that Hollywood ego kind of thing, like like trying to steal the spotlight, get in, you know, get in the limelight and, and, and take, you know, make the show about them, which is unusual because we see that with pro athletes a lot of times. He said, man, they were playing out there on the field like one unit. They were just nobody trying to steal the glory. They were just all together. And he said this. He said, they played as if they were fighting for the city of New Orleans. And I'm sitting there in my car, you know, driving across the lake. And uh, I, I thought, wow, this is interesting. Because everybody in the New Orleans area right now, they're talking about the Saints. Not like you talk about most football teams. You know, I, I got to say, before I came into Louisiana, I, I grew up a Dallas Cowboys fan. Boo. And... Uh, that's what you did in Texas. You, you watched the Cowboys. And I watched, watched my token Cowboys game over Thanksgiving and uh, this year. But I've watched football games, and I've enjoyed football games, and I've seen good football games, right? But even when LSU goes to the playoffs, it's just usually a good football game. It, it's awesome. We get excited. But there's something different going on right here. It's as if there's something bigger than football happening. And when people talk about the saints, they, they, they talk about it as if there's something larger going on than just a football game. It's not just a good football game. It's, it's something about something bigger happening in the area. You know, my favorite rock band, U2, uh, they once wrote a song called, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. And Bono sang this. He said, I believe... In the kingdom come, then all the colors will bleed into one, bleed into one. And yes, I'm still running, 
You broke the bonds and you loosed the chains. You carried the cross of my shame, of my shame. You know I believe it, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. You know, I remember hearing this song as a new Christian, kind of thinking, dude, what's up with this song? How can you in one how can you in one sentence say Jesus, you know, set me free. He broke the bonds off my life. I believe in the kingdom coming where there's not going to be any black, white, red. All the colors bleed into one. I believe in that day. Yeah, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Is Jesus not what you're looking for? That's kind of the way I took it. But, you know, honestly, I can say that the longer I've been a Christian, I think I understand what Bono was getting at when he wrote that song. I think... He's talking about following Jesus, but being stuck in the tension between the now and the not yet. You've tasted. You've tasted of Jesus. You've tasted of, you've experienced some of his freedom. You may have seen some awesome things happen, but you live in this time between the appetizer and the main course, as we talked about now for the other night. This tension of, I've tasted of it. I've experienced Jesus. I believe in the kingdom coming but I still haven't found it in its fullness yet. See, in this world, we get glimpses of that future kingdom where there's not going to be any more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering, no more isolation, no more alienation, no disease. We get glimpses of that, but right now, they remain glimpses, tastes, what we are looking for, what the world is looking for, what Covington's looking for, what New Orleans is looking for, is truly the kingdom of God. Matthew 5.13, Jesus said this. I'm going to read two translations of it. The standard translation is this. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. I love these scriptures. Now, I want to read uh, another translation from the Message Bible. Eugene Peter, he kind of updated it in contemporary language. He said this. Let me tell you why you are here. You are here to be the salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of the earth, or as we would say down here in Louisiana, the Tony Chacheries. If you lose your saltiness, how are people going to taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You are here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, don't you think, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? No, I'm putting you on a light stand. And now that I put you there on a hilltop on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. I love that. 
You know, when I was driving across the causeway listening to Garland the other day, you know what I started thinking when he's talking about an atmosphere of hope, when he's talking about, you know, red, white, black, getting along. Red, white, black. (laughs) Black, white, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Getting along, no crime, a a hopefulness, people playing as a team, nobody trying to. I, I thought, man, that should be what people are saying about the church. That should be what people are saying about the church. You know, when I get around the, the I keep saying Kinder Vineyard because I've been in Kinder so long. When I get, <laughs> you can say it about them too. When I get around the North Shore Vineyard, I, there's such an atmosphere of hope. I, it, it's just different. There's no sense of hatred or, or separations that I find out there. You've got people from all kinds of different walks of life, and, and, and they're getting along. It's as if... That group of people meeting in that, that little building in downtown Covington, it's as if they're fighting for this city. They are such a team. No egos. Nobody trying to steal the spotlight. But just one unit. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if people start saying that? It's hard to imagine because honestly, when the word Christian comes up in our culture, it doesn't usually elicit those kinds of responses, does it? Right? <laughs> See, the truth is, the very word Christian in our world is rarely associated with these kinds of ideas. For many, the word Christian is a synonym for narrow-minded. It's a synonym for being judgmental and hypocritical. Christians are too much known for what we're against and not what we're for. See, I think that's a popular thing in our culture. People know everything that Christians are against. But that's almost all they know. They don't know what we're for. Better than that, they don't know who we're for. But see, this hasn't always been the case. In fact, this wasn't the way the church was when it started. The second text that I want to look at tonight is Acts 2, 42 through 47. Now, this is a little snapshot of the early church. This is the beginning days of, of those who, when, when the church just bust out on the scene. It says this, They, the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. The believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to one another as he had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Doesn't that sound like an amazing place to be? I mean, people were getting healed. God was doing amazing things. People were taking care of one another. But you know, the way this verse closes out, it says, they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. In other words, they were gathering together. God was doing amazing things and transforming their lives and transforming them as a community. But you know what? They, they had a reputation, a, a good reputation, with people who weren't even believers. See, the people outside the church were pointing at him going, dude, this group of people over here, 
I don't know what's going on, but there is something good happening. There is something amazing going on with them. They grew in favor with all people. Whether they became Christ followers or not, they knew that this group, good things were happening. See, the early church, we see that God was moving in miraculous ways. (laughs) We see that they were taking care of one another. We also see that they were taking care of the poor, taking care of the widows. I mean, the early church, the, the first responses to what God was doing was to start coming up with a waiting tables ministry for, for uh, the widows in their midst. That was their first response to what God was doing, was to just open up their hands and help one another out and help the world around them. But see, I think it's, 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 it's important for us to understand that, that this picture that we get of the early church, it was an ensemble cast. You ever heard that word ensemble before? Yes? Okay. <laughs> I asked Dina if she'd heard it before, and she heard it referring to fashion. You have a clothing ensemble, right? I haven't used it that way before, <laughs> as you might imagine. Um, but the word ensemble can refer to a lot of things. In music, you can have a musical ensemble. What's a musical ensemble? It's, it's a group of musicians joining together to play a song, and everybody's got their part. And, and if, if it's a good ensemble, everybody's playing their part right. <laughs> the same, same thing, you have certain movies in our culture where it's hard to pick out who the lead character is. Have you ever seen one of those shows before? There's all kinds of movies out there, and, and since I haven't mentioned Lord of the Rings tonight, I, I'll mention that one. <laughs> I'm seeing how many weeks I can just sneak Lord of the Rings in there. But Lord of the Rings, it was an ensemble cast. Who, who is the lead character? Is it, is it Frodo? Is it the wizard? Is it Aragorn? Um, it's an ensemble cast. Everybody had a part to play, and everybody played their part. See, I think too often we have this idea of Christianity. We think that it's, it's about superstars. It's, it's about, you know, the, 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 the big, you know, fancy preacher on the TV or somebody who's, who's really gifted at talking or something like that. And we think that that guy's supposed to get everything done. That's not the way Jesus set it up. I mean, look at Christianity versus every other religion out there. Jesus, God, comes to earth and he spends three years with a bunch of boneheads. I mean, just regular people. I mean, these were not seminary graduates. These were just like, just, just regular, ordinary people. I mean, really, they, they had nothing going on for them. And these guys were different from one another. I mean, you had fishermen, you had tax collectors, you had these guys called zealots. And they were like crazy, like trying to overthrow the government types. They'd be like our right-wing, you know, conspiracy theory people, you know, that are, are ready to go blow up clinics and stuff. And, and, and you know... This is the band that Jesus gathered. And I'm sure you take these guys and you put them in a normal thing. A lot of these guys would not be having each other over for dinner. They would not be going down to the pub and having a beer after work. They just, it's, it's not the way they worked. But Jesus picked this diverse group of people and, and he gathered them around his mission. He started it with a group of people. And then we see the early church. We see that, that it starts with, you know, 120 disciples. And then when it blows up on the scene, it's, it's people from all kinds of nations and all kinds of stuff. And we see from the very beginning, it was ordinary people 
doing extraordinary things. Naturally pe- natural people moving in the supernatural. Everyone gets to play. You're going to hear that a lot around here at the Vineyard, if you're new to the Vineyard. Everyone gets to play. Everyone has a part. I love that about the Saints the other night. The, the, the commentators are just kind of scratching their heads. They're going, this just doesn't make sense. There were four passing touchdowns to four different receivers. You don't see that. You usually see one guy that's the star you know, receiver. Four different guys. They all had a part, and nobody's trying to steal the show. See, it's an ensemble cast. The only star here is Jesus. What we see in the early church, we see that there was leadership. I mean, we see that there were, you know, obviously Peter and, and, and Paul and, you know, some of these guys were, were doing some stuff. But, but the picture you see in Acts, man, they were all in on it. They were all in on it. And as we talk about living in a larger story, it starts with the characters. See, we tend to have, because we live in a, in a world where our theme song is I did it my way, we tend to bring that mentality into our Christianity, don't we? I'm just going to do this my way. It, it may be me and God now, but I'm going to just do it my way. Well, God has not called us to, to do it that way. He's called us to go on this journey with one another. Now, I want to look at a couple of things to take home with us tonight. Number one, it's not about me and my way. It doesn't start there. What, did, what, what were Jesus' first words to Peter? Follow me, and I'll make you rich. Follow me, and people are really going to like you. Follow me, and, and, and we're talking new fishing boats and new houses and, and all that. No, he said, follow me, and, and we're going to catch people. We're going to reconcile people to God. We're going to be a part of what God wants to do in the lives of people. That's where God starts with each of us. Follow me, and we're going to get about the work of, of connecting with people. No lone rangers. See, my, my first couple of years as a Christian, I got to tell you, um, I, I grew up an only child, and, and for part of those years, I, we lived out in the country, so it was me and, and dogs, you know. I, I learned how to get, I'm a dog person, you know, and uh, it's the closest thing I had to brothers. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I've always kind of been self-sufficient. I'm okay being by myself, you know. I'll frequently go to movies by myself, I, you know. But in my early years as a Christian, I just thought that um, it was me and God. And I was praying I was reading my Bible. Man, I was m- probably more disciplined in all that stuff than I am today. <laughs> but you know what? I-, I was missing it. I was getting burned out. I was doing all that stuff, and it wasn't, it wasn't doing anything in here. Because I thought it was just about me and God. See, I was a lone ranger after God. See, I, I've realized over the years that the junk in my own heart the only way God's going to deal with that is if I'm in relationship with other people. But I don't want to do that, God. <laughs> what if other people find out the things that I'm struggling with? They're going to blacklist me from this group. You know, I, w- I walked around my, my first couple of years. I was so ashamed of the things that I was struggling with, the thoughts that I was having. The, 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 it, and honestly, I'd get around church, and everybody seemed to have it together. Everybody was just like, hey, shiny, happy people. And so that only made it worse because I'd go to church 
And I'd see everybody happy, and I'm thinking, I must be doing something wrong here. Because <laughs> I don't look like that. And, I, and, I, and I'd, I'd smile, and I'd, you know, I'd just pretend that everything was going fine. But on the inside, I was dying. Well, <laughs> they're having fun in there tonight. Uh, gradually, God began to break me out of that and bring me into relationship with people. And I got to tell you, my journey over the years, it has involved, it has involved people in my life. Uh, you know, I've done some, some horrible things when I've, I've gotten burned out and depressed and on my own and just trying to handle it on my own. I've, I've done some bad things. I've realized that I got to have people in my life. See, our healing, and every one of if you if you've been raised on planet Earth, everybody, okay, if you've been raised on planet Earth and you have human parents, you got messed up things in your heart. I'm just here to tell you. You may not be in touch with that yet. You may think that, that everything's cool. Dude, you're messed up, okay? If that's the only thing you take home tonight. No, that, that's not the only thing you need to take home. Uh, we, we all got junk in our lives. And our healing, the way that God's going to touch that stuff, you know, I would love it if God would just touch that with me praying up at, you know, I, I remember as a new Christian, can you pray for me? What do you need prayer for? Oh, I just need God to deal with something. I would love for God to do it that way. And it, usually he didn't. <laughs> it usually came in the context of community. The second thing is we only fulfill our purpose as individuals in the context of community. It's, it's, it's in relationship with one another that we actually become who we were intended to be. It's not a rugged individual thing. It's, I mean, look at the saints right now. I mean, isn't it amazing you see somebody like Robert Meachin, somebody like Henderson, all these guys, and it's like they said none of the guys, none of the guys on the Saints offense, none of them are going to make it in the, in the top statistics of single players on offense. None of them because they spread the ball around. They all share. They're all playing their part, but they're fulfilling their destiny as individuals in the greater purpose and community. Second thing I want to say tonight First, it's not about me and my way. Second thing, community is hard. <laughs> community is hard, y'all. You know, when Dina and I first got married 12 years ago, it's been 12 years, right? It's been 12 years for y'all? Okay, we got married like a month apart from each other. <laughs> when we got married 12 years ago, I was pretty idealistic about the thing. I mean, I liked the idea of being married to Dina. I thought she was beautiful. You know, we... We liked hanging out. I had all those cool little butterfly feelings. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Um, and I thought, man, how hard can this thing be? I mean, we love each other. We love God. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's why I'm planning a church right now. Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a character fault. I just get myself into these things. Uh, I remember about three days into the honeymoon, though, realizing that there was going to be a little bit more to this thing than I had anticipated. I realized that it was going to be a little bit harder <laughs> than I had once thought it was. It, it wasn't just, you know, sharing the same roof and, you know, paying the bills together and, and all that comes with being married. Um, it, it was going to be hard. You know, the re reality is, it was hard. That was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. The first couple of years of marriage, I, I talk to people sometimes who are like, oh, yeah, man, we got married first year. No problem. I don't know what people are talking about. I'm like, dude, I don't know what you're talking about. 
<laughs> I did not get that package. That's what I signed up for, I thought. But uh, <laughs> it was tough. Why was it tough? Because when you're, when you're in a committed relationship with somebody, stuff starts coming up in your life. You know, as long as it's just me and God and, you know, I, I don't really have much perspective on how selfish and impatient <laughs> and unloving and all that stuff that I am. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, my self-perception, you ever have like your perception about yourself kind of shattered? It's not fun, but that's what being married was like. All of a sudden, I realized I wasn't that patient, wasn't that loving. I wasn't that good. <laughs> See, there's a, there's a term in our culture called friends with benefits. Anybody heard that term? Young people use it a lot these days. The young folks, the youths. And it just refers to two people who are friends who sleep together. They, they want the benefits, the pleasure of a committed relationship without all the cumbersome burdens of commitment. You know, they, they want the fun of it without anything beyond that. And we know that's not love, don't we? I mean, it doesn't take a brain science to know that. Okay, brain scientist to notice. Brain surgeon, rocket scientist, brain scientist. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't take one of those guys <laughs> to know that that's not really love. A- apart from a commitment to another person, it, it, love can't exist. And we can point our fingers at young people and we say, oh, those young people, they're just, you know, so crazy. And, uh, but, you know, the reality is we, we have that same tendency in every part of our life, don't we? The reality is we want anything we can get in our life without the pain of commitment, don't we? <laughs> we want anything we can get. We want the pleasure part, the fun part. But we don't want the commitment. But you know what? God deals with our individual issues in the context of relationships. I, I'm not um, a big fan of those first couple of years of marriage, but, you know, God transformed me in that. I'm a different person because God started dealing with junk in my life. Because we were committed to one another, because we had, had, had made a commitment that we weren't going to leave each other or forsake each other till death do us part, and we meant that, it meant that I couldn't run away from this one. And you know what? Most of my life, I'd spend running away from pain whenever it came. Whenever I'd have a relationship that, that, that went south, I'd run away. All of a sudden, I was in the midst of something where I couldn't run away. I mean, I could. That option's always out there. But because of that commitment to one another, I had to either deal with the pain or abandon ship. And this is why we got to take our, our relationships with one another in the church so seriously. Because, you know, our individual lives depend on it. And much more than that, even, the world surrounding us will only taste God's kingdom to the extent that we, we engage in that. See, the truth is, for, for those of y'all who've been coming around here, or maybe you, you, you're just showing up now, being a part of a new church, it's an exciting thing, isn't it? I mean, I'm excited. I, I haven't been this excited about church in years. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of new things we can do and, and, and new ways to uh, do this. And, and we're getting coffee now. And, like, we're, we're a respectable vineyard church now because we got fresh ground coffee. Was that good coffee tonight? Yeah. Preach it. I like good coffee now. And, 
you know, it's, it's neat sitting around the tables and Alpha and talking and having that heart-to-heart discussion about the things that really matter. And, and for some of you, that may be the first time you've ever talked about these kind of things with anybody else, and it feels good. But let me tell you, there will come a day in the not-too-distant future where being a part of this church will hurt you. I'm going to hurt you. I mean, not intentionally, I hope. But I'm going to say something that's going to hurt you or accidentally do something or not return your call or something. Or somebody in this church is not going to live up to your expectations of how you think they should act. Or somebody's going to do something that you didn't think they should have done. And it's going to hurt. And all of a sudden, pain is going to happen in your heart. And you're going to be faced with that kind of issue. Should I stay or should I go? I'm quoting an awful lot of songs tonight. But... uh... <laughs> but it's precisely those moments of pain that God wants us to face. And we will only face them if we're committed, if we're living in a larger story, if there's something bigger than us going on. See, if I'm just showing up to the North Shore Vineyard because it does something for me and I like the coffee and it's just about me, then as soon as somebody hurts me, I'm, I'm, I'm going somewhere else. But if I'm showing up and I realize there's something bigger than a service going on here, God's up to a bigger, there's a bigger story going on that that I've been invited to be a part of, then I can take those things seriously when they come up. I I can face them. They won't own me and they won't take me down. James 1, 2 through 5 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I used to think that these verses were weird. Anybody think these verses are weird right now? Consider it joy when you have trials. Oh, boy, I don't have enough money for rent. (laughs) The car just broke down. Yay! Yay! I just forgot to pick up my kids at school today, and they were outside for three hours, and I get to hear it from my wife all evening. I'm so excited. Happy, happy, joy, joy. (laughs) See, I've come to realize the best things in life, in faith, in love are the things that have come through trials, through fire. Through all of the things that didn't go the way that I wanted them to go, as long as I'm submitted to God along the way. See, it's those moments. It's when I got married. It's when Katrina happened. The house got flooded. It's, it's when, you know, all my expectations got shattered at different points. It's in those moments. If I didn't give up on God, if, if I stayed submitted to him, man, he was about to do something in my own life. See, we got to understand that that's part of our journey as community. It's going through these trials together. And this, I want to submit, is the way that the world begins tasting what God is like. When they see a group of people who are going through it and something's different about them, that's when the world tastes what God's like. See, when 
we're submitted to God and, and, and committed to one another's community, how can the world outside these doors not taste what God is like? How can they not experience what God's kingdom is like? Because we are gr- bringing out the God flavors and the God colors in this world. My prayer tonight is that the words being said about the Saints, the New Orleans Saints football team, my prayer is that they'd be saying that about the real saints, the saints of God, those who are, who are really following after Christ. That's my prayer. I, I'm tired of, of, of the way that, that, that the church is, is looked at in our world, and I think it's for good reason, <laughs> honestly. I mean, we can say, oh, well, the media just hates Christians. Well, that may be true, but I think there's some substance to their accusations. And my prayer is that we... As the North Shore Vineyard, we as Christians here on the North Shore, we would have a reputation of those who, who are hope-filled, those who, who don't have barriers separating us, those who are committed and loving one another through all kinds of fire. So that's, as Forrest Gump said, that's all I've got to say about that. Why don't you stand up? I'll close this with a word of prayer tonight. Father God, we, we thank you for inviting us on this journey, Lord. God, and, and help us to be members of this ensemble. Lord, help us to each find our place in this music that we're playing. Help us to find our positions on the field. God, help us to, to find our own healing and our own purpose, God, in the context of this community you're putting together, God. And I know there are some genuine fears in our lives, God, but I pray you give us the strength to face those things. And Lord, that you would transform, transform each of us in the process, God, and that the world outside these doors, whether in Covington or Mandeville or Madisonville or Beta Springs or even New Orleans, would see what you're like through what you're doing through us as a community. God, that those very words that Garland was saying, God, would be true about us, Lord. And just invite your kingdom and your work into our lives, Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen.